0: jcasnetwork.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to Daily Dot Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski, and today we're talking about Tractate Shabbat, page Hey, page 5. This is a really great page uh, containing a lot of tight Talmudic arguments that, that are a lot of fun for students of Talmud. Now, to return you to the beginning of the Tractate, if you remember, we were speaking about Uh, the the malacha, the work of transferring an object from the private to the public domain, or vice versa, which is forbidden on Shabbat. And we began with this little story, imagining a story of a poor person standing in the street and a rich person inside his private domain in the house, and one or the other of those people uh, took a hand from Zone A, reached it out through the window, and took the object and deposited it in the hand of the other person. Let's, Let's say the the poor person in the street Takes out takes out his his uh, object his cup let's say uh, and reaches it through the window and places it in the hand of the rich person inside and leaves it there that person has has uh, transferred an object on Shabbat and it's forbidden now the thing is that a hand of a person is a fairly small space but on the previous page that we were on the other day on on Dalit we assumed that transferring objects picking up an object from zone A and putting the object into zone B ought to happen in a space of recognizable size, which for the Talmud is four square tefachim. A tefach, as I mentioned, is uh, approximately nine centimeters, so that's roughly roughly nine, nine centimeters squared, um, and if it doesn't, uh, if, if it is not picked up from a place that size or placed into a place that size, the Talmud assumes that that's not really picking up and that's not really putting down. But this poses a problem for the Gemara because there are plenty of rabbinic texts, Mishnaic texts, which appear to suggest that an item doesn't have to come from or come to rest in, in a large space. It could happen in a small space. And so we uh, we examined the possibility I, I didn't discuss this with you yesterday, I kind of moved over quickly, but we'll look at it now. We examined the possibility that our Mishnah uh, does not hold that that things have to come from large spaces and small spaces, that it can fly through the air and that can count as coming to rest, that it can land on a, a little spot on a tree or that it can land on a little protrusion on a building and that would be just like it coming to rest in the hand of a person and so we examined the possibility the Talmud examined the possibility that coming to rest on a space smaller than four square tipachim uh, uh, would be would be, be adequate, adequate for for having come to rest and we attributed those other positions to Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi but we discovered that those are, are problematic arguments to make and the Talmud is forced to do what it often does, which makes it both fun and and sometimes even a little bit silly uh, as it tries to as it tries to explain its positions, we uh, examine the possibility that maybe when it meant, maybe when the Talmud said that it placed it in the hand of the poor person, it, it meant that it placed it in a basket in the hand of the poor person, or maybe when it said it put it in his hand, he meant that he actually caught it in the in the uh, in the in the space around his garment, we suggested that no 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 no. Perhaps it means that he even caught it in his hand, uh, but his hand was very very close to the ground. Perhaps he was close to the ground because he was standing in a ditch. Perhaps he was close to the ground because he's a midget, and all of those things are are really only half serious proposals that the Talmud gives. What the Talmud actually comes to declare is that a human hand. Is really counts as if it is four-square tipachim, counts as a stable position on the ground. And it is true that Rabbi Akiva does not hold that position, and, and Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi does not hold that position, but that is the position which two of the generation of teachers from the sort of middle third century, Rava in Babylonia, and Rabbi Yochanan in the land of Israel, will take, and that is the position which will later become a matter of law. The next interesting thing we do today is we affirm that for an object to be picked up and moved, it must first be at rest. So flowing rock, flowing water, if, even if a person intentionally directs it from, say, somebody's private yard, imagine it's coming off the roof of a house and you direct it into the public zone, that doesn't count as picking up an object and moving an object because the object wasn't at rest to begin with. We say that water sitting in a pit even though it kind of flows back and forth a little bit, that could be said to be at rest because water can rest on other water, but, um, but flowing water is not, is not considered at rest. And there's actually a really interesting little piece here because it imagines a person, the Talmud gives a hypothetical or, or, or maybe a real case, of somebody sitting on the roof, reading with a Torah scroll in his lap, and you can imagine as a modern Torah scroll looks, uh, it's it's all rolled up. Uh, they didn't have the the wooden poles that we usually have, but imagine the man standing on the roof reading his book, um, and the one spool of the Torah scroll falls off uh, his lap and rolls all the way down to the public domain. Uh, so you know we we're, we're very strict and serious about how we how we treat our Torah scrolls. But this story imagines the person sitting up there and having the, the thing roll off his roof, all the way down to the ground. What do you do? Well, that, that's perhaps not that interesting for us right now. You, if, 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 it, if it comes to rest on the wall, then you should turn it over so that the text is not uh, exposed publicly, and that would be considered embarrassing. But what I do think is interesting about this, in a small way, is an anecdote in my own life. One time, I, I've never seen a Torah fall. I've never seen a Torah scroll fall. We always talk about, oh, you'd have to fast if you saw a Torah scroll fall. One time, I was in a, in a synagogue where they were rolling a Torah scroll, and one guy was not very careful, and one of the two spools did, in fact, hit the ground. And as you can imagine, it was really shocking and embarrassing. And so I did direct that question to, uh, to somebody who's really quite an expert on halacha, and he directed me to this passage right here. He said, no, no, that's not really falling. Because our, pa- our passage, in fact, described that a, that a Torah can half-fall... And that would be considered an unfortunate accident but not the not the crime for which you would have to fast finally i want to make one more observation that there is a on, on page bet on, on amud bet there's a really uh, cool argument that the same rabbi yochanan who i mentioned before makes and he says that if you were in the course of carrying and you picked up an object for carrying inside a given domain, which was perfectly acceptable to do, carrying your living room from from one corner of the room to the other corner of the room, and you picked up that object with the intention of remaining inside the protected zone, but then in the course of it you changed your mind, you you got distracted, and you weren't thinking about it, and then you walked out. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan says that that would be Rabbinically prohibited, you shouldn't do that, but that's not actually a Biblical violation. Why? Because violations require intentionality from the beginning of the act to the end of the act. Rashi says here uh, a phrase that is important in the laws of Shabbat, m'lechet machshevet asrat Torah. The Torah forbids intentional acts, not accidents. Included here is a theory of intentionality, a theory of kavanah. To do the right thing requires intention from the beginning to the end, and similarly to do the wrong thing requires intention from the beginning to the end. Uh, I think that the rabbis are very, very um, uh, astute, and they place a great deal of emphasis on kavanah, on intention. So actions, the, the deed is determined really by the intention that begins it, it can still be a bad act, it can still be forbidden by rabbinic decree, but if you pick it up, if you pick this object up with the intention of carrying it in a permitted way and then you get confused into it in a forbidden way, shouldn't do it, but that does not count as a fully forbidden act because Kavanah determines. Have a great day, look forward to speaking with you about Talmud again tomorrow.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.